Welcome back to the Critical Powercast. Join us today as we continue our conversation on generator set emissions. Welcome back to another episode on generator side emissions. To recap quickly, in our first episode on emissions, we talked about the regulations from the Environmental Protection Agency or EPA uh, and how they categorize the emissions for diesel generators. In this episode, we'll dive deeper into the requirements for stationary non-emergency diesel generators. For this episode, again, we'll be talking to Brad Meisner, who is the product manager for Kohler's large diesel generator sets, and also a wealth of knowledge about their emissions and code requirements. My name is Roman Kabir, and I'll be your host today. Brad, welcome again. Hey, Roman, it's great to be back. I appreciate you having me on again. So for those of you who didn't listen to our previous uh, podcast, just a little overview on myself, I'm currently the product manager with responsibility for the 700 kW and larger diesel generator sets for all of North America. What that means is I have the responsibility for the strategy of the Mitsubishi as well as the KD series product lines. And what I get to do is work closely with the sales, the engineering, and the operations teams to execute on our strategy. Thank you, Brad. We touched on this briefly on episode one, but can you talk again about why stationary emergency and stationary non-emergency diesel generators are classified differently? Yeah, so these types of generator sets would fall under the government of the US EPA and what they're called their new source performance standards for stationary compression ignition engines. So first and foremost, the stationary piece of that This is defined as an off-highway engine permanently mounted on a single uh, location. So think of it mounted on a pad, like a generator set. That's why it's uh, considered stationary. So then from there, there's a unique distinction that exists between the emergency use of these engines and the non-emergency use. And most of the time by the EPA is spent defining the emergency use. So the emergency is basically anything that's going to run in a power outage, a fire, or a flood. Um, it's going to give you unlimited use during those types of operations. And then that's also going to give you 100 hours per year for what they call maintenance and testing. So it's basically anything that you're doing to prepare for these outage events, making sure that the equipment is ready. Uh, the EPA then simply defines non-emergency as anything that's going to fall outside of these uh, emergency definition. <laughs> I love that how EPA defines it. So uh, my mind, emergency is anything that is used for backup purposes, and only used when the utility is unavailable, and then non-emergency is everything outside of that. To expand on that a little, could you give examples of how a non-emergency generator set could be used? So there's really three primary uh, uses for this type of generator set in the US. So there's a primary source of power, second being demand response, and then peak shaving. So that first one I mentioned was the primary source of power This is very straightforward. This is where it's your primary source of power for your building or factory. Um, Usually this is in some sort of an off-grid location that this is going to be the requirement. The second one there was demand response. This is often termed uh, curtailment program as well. This is where a local utility and an end user have a a pre-set up agreement 
um, for the utility to actually drop that end user from the grid and let their generator power take over. The benefit to the utility company is that as they're uh, reaching peak demand on the utility grid, they can drop these large customers off and then uh, lower their overall uh, demand on the grid, making sure they don't have to go out and buy uh, power on the open market, which is very expensive to buy it from a neighboring uh, utility provider. The end user or the customer is going to get a great benefit by having a reduced uh, utility rate throughout the year. And then the last one I mentioned was uh, peak shaving or, or peaking generators. Uh, sometimes they're, they're referred to. Um, this is really seeking out uh, reducing the demand charge on a customer. So a commercial or, or an industrial building um, is going to have to pay for a demand charge in, in addition to what a uh, residential customer would pay, which is their uh, consumption charge. What these demand charges are is the peak requirement that any facility is going to be running um, throughout the month. It's usually measured in about a 15-minute window. So think of a, a large operation like a foundry, right? When they're going to do their melt operation, uh, they're going to consume a lot of energy at those peak times, um, but throughout the rest of the operation, they're not going to um, uh, require that. So in the instance of a foundry, you know, they would could turn on their generator, supplement their energy usage they're getting from the utility with their the peak shaving generator, reduce their overall demand charges, and uh, avoid getting those um, uh, astronomic um, utility bills every month. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Brad. Those examples really help. And uh, from my experience, what, what comes to mind of those three use categories that you mentioned is prime power as uh, when I worked on remote mining facilities where there was no utility. So the generators were the primary source of power. Um, for the demand response, I think of the program a Kohler manufacturing plant is currently using uh, with the local utility that again, like you mentioned, improves the utility's ability to respond uh, during this hot summer peak months, shaving. I remember working on projects in locally in the New York, New Jersey area where reducing those peak demands concurrent with the utilities peak demands reduces the, the transmission cost. Uh, because again, like you mentioned, if you go over load, you also have to pay the transmission charges for those peaks. And I've seen generators being used to shave up those peaks and, and save a good chunk of the utility bill every year. Let's talk a little bit about how to meet those additional emission requirements that are added to the non-emergency generator sets. I understand that there are compliant solutions and certified solutions to meet those requirements. Can you explain a little bit about both of those terms, the compliant and certified, and if one is better than the other? Yeah, great question. Um, so the EPA requirement for a non-emergency use generator is that it must be certified from the factory. This means that the engine manufacturer has gotten it certified as a tier four product. If you recall from our last podcast, we covered this pretty in depth and you, you'll recall that engines can only operate in the US as specified by their EPA emission label. Therefore, again, non-emergency application requires certified tier four. Um, where the compliance solutions will come in is when a generator is acting as an emergency use only generator, but then there's going to be a local requirement forcing a lower emission standard uh, than what that, that tier two level is for like a large diesel generator set. That's when you're gonna have to go out and get a third party provided after treatment solution to work with those, uh, those generator sets. Mm. 
again, to be to be clear, uh, what you're saying is any new used diesel generators that falls under that definition from EPA will need to have a solution that is certified from the factory and cannot be a third-party compliant solution. Can you explain more about the term compliant, how it's defined, and which areas are requiring that solution? Yeah, it's another another great question. And there has been some confusion around this term of compliant. Um, it's become a widely used industry term, I'll say, for after-treatment mm. solutions that are not certified. And so we got to unpack that a little bit and talk about why it can be confusing. So this is where you're, again, typically taking that emergency use generator, adding the after-treatment to the local regulations. Um, but where you get into uh, BACT regulations or best available control technology, it's very critical that the end user understands um, what the local requirements are and uh, are able to work with the supplier in order to uh, get the right after-treatment solution. And so where these local areas usually pop up is uh, in areas that are defined as, as, an, as non-attainment. So there is a, a standard out there called the National Ambient Air Quality Standard uh, that was defined by the Clean Air Act that tells you these locations around the U.S. Um, where the local air quality essentially is not living up to what the national standards are. And then what happens is if those areas are out of attainment or in that non-attainment, they're usually for a specific pollutant. And so on the West Coast, you're generally going to be more concerned with the particular matter. And then on the East Coast, it might be more uh, concerned with the, the NOx levels. Um, just based on, again, what those national ambient air quality standards are for these non-attainment and attainment areas. And then to give a little bit more definition on it and how these large metro areas uh, that we're seeing a lot of these regulations be driven by uh, can vary. Um, two of the ones that come top of mind to me is uh, the Bay Area. Um, so the Bay Area uh, Air Quality Management District covers the area of San Francisco, Silicon Valley. Again, a very hot area for uh, data centers right now. Um, they just recently, at the very end of 2020, uh, enacted a new standard out, uh, out in their region. And it actually calls for all 1,000 brake horsepower engines and above that would power a generator set are going to require a, a, a BACT review. So a best available control technology review for all their generator sets. And they further then defined as this BACT regulation is going to be, it's going to require tier four levels. Mm. Um, and, but it is allowing the compliant solution. Again, the national standard says you only need, need tier two generator sets in that, in that area, but because the local regulation is saying you need something more strict than that, that allows you then to take the third party after treatment and apply it. The EPA only still governs the actual engine there, but then it's the local regulations that's governing the engine plus then the after treatment. And there can be ongoing testing requirements associated with mm -hmm. it. To contrast this in another area, um, another hotbed for data centers lately is the the Phoenix area, and uh, specifically that the governing body here is the Maricopa County AQD, or the Air Quality District. And uh, what they're looking at is a little bit different than what uh, Bay Area has went and said, is that all of these engines are going to require these, these after-treatment uh, technologies. Um, they actually look at the total pollutants that are being output and then enable some thresholds. Uh, so if your, height, if your site hits... Um, for instance, a total tons per year of pollutant output, uh, you might trigger a, a new source review where you have to do some dispersion modeling and look at the, the site layouts and things. If you hit another threshold, you might trigger a, a BACT review specific to that, and then you might be forced into after treatment. 
And I'm not going to go further into specifics. I could spend hours talking on this topic. <laughs> but what I wanted to do is just kind of demonstrate how it's very important for uh, the engineers, the end users to really understand where their generator sets are going to be put and understand what the local requirements are and how that's going to drive your overall site designs uh, early on in your program, because it's very hard to adjust to this late in the program. Oh, thank you, Brad. And I, I know we work with you quite a bit to understand and, and apply uh, the right solutions to these requirements. To recap basically what you said, because you, you said a lot of info, uh, useful things and um, to me, it seems like the compliance solutions are, are still an emergency generator with additional requirements from the local air districts that already have high level of emissions for one reason or another. And, you know, it could be one or multiple of those six criteria pollutants that you had mentioned in the last uh, episode that could require after treatment just to control that pollutant or pollutants. Now, what that brings to mind is the low NOx calibration. Um, I know that Kohler now offers low NOx calibrations in some of our larger engines. Can this low NOx calibration be used to meet some of these local requirements? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for bringing up the low NOx option. It's one of my favorite topics and one of the, the best features of the the KD series generator sets. So all KD 2000 to 4000 generator sets have a low NOx fuel calibration option. And we specifically developed this to work with the, the Virginia DEQ's NOx limit requirements. So again, out in the East Coast, uh, where, where Virginia is located, um, they're gonna have some concerns with the, the NOx levels of our, of our generator sets. So they've actually put in thresholds for what your, uh, your maximum uh, potential to emit levels can be. And uh, the nice part about the KD series engines is that we haven't had to make any modifications to the engine hardware. It's very simple, a fuel calibration change, that fuel calibration is fully EPA certified. And then it also gives us then the ability to use it outside of Virginia. I talked about Maricopa County uh, previously where you're concerned with these uh, total pollutant emissions. Said so that that's tons per year uh, of emitted per, uh, pollutants. That's another great way to kind of lower your overall pollutants is by using these low NOx calibrations. Yeah, wonderful. And I can certainly attest to that because the engineers that I work with in the New York, New Jersey area who work in the data center industry really loves the low NOx solution since you're meeting a local requirement without having to add any after treatment. It's kind of a, a free solution. That brings me to the certified solution that Kohler offers. Can you talk a little bit about the products that meet the tier four requirements? Yeah, absolutely. So Kohler's uh, KD series tier four generator sets, they focus on simplicity. And we have uh, released three nodes in that, uh, in the tier four certified product. So we have a 1250, a 2500, and, and a 3250 offered uh, in the KD series range. And the big thing that we did was, again, focus on that simplicity. And that's because there's a lot of hesitation in the market around transitioning to a tier four certified piece of equipment. That's because of the after treatment. It makes the system considerably more complex as well as expensive. And our solution certainly doesn't solve all of these pain points. Uh, there is, you can't get around all of them because you're forced to use after treatment in this size range in order to meet tier four uh, levels. But certainly it's going to simplify it. And that's because we've used a 
SCR only solution for our after treatment. Another really nice thing that Kohler has done is on the 1250 and 2500 KW sizes, we've offered a factory direct uh, packaging. So tanks and enclosures uh, with everything already pre-engineered, really it becomes this drop-on solution for the end customer. Uh, for those of our listeners who have dealt with a, a tier four generator set, you know the pain points of having to implement these into mm -hmm. a building or a custom piece of uh, a packaging. Um, takes all that engineering work out for you, really just simplifies it and takes a lot of the headaches away. Yeah. So that was the tier four certified solutions from the factory. Do we also offer compliance solutions? Uh, yeah. So Kohler has established a preferred supplier program with Miratech. Miratech is a global provider of after treatment uh, solutions. They're one of the, the best in the business, been doing it for many, many years, well-established partner um, so we use them to provide the third-party after-treatment systems, and we've actually pre-engineered solutions for all of our, our diesel as well as our gaseous generator sets. And uh, this relationship, therefore, is managed at the factory level. So myself and uh, many of my counterparts work closely with the Miratech team on these pre-engineered solutions. But then what we do is we have uh, our local distribution partners actually be working with Miratech on a project level. This allows the products to be put closer to the end user and really allows them to understand what those local requirements, site requirements are, and make sure that end user gets the right solution for that specific project. Wonderful. Brad, thank you again for another informative talk on emissions. I know you have another white paper on this very topic, certified versus compliance solutions. And for our listeners, I will be putting the link in the description of this episode. I look forward to our next episode where we will dive deeper into the technologies that are used to uh, reduce the emissions of the generator sets. Until then, uh, stay safe, enjoy the spring weather, and thank you again. Ramon, I appreciate you having me on, and I really look forward to the next time we get to talk. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was another episode on generator set emissions. We'll continue exploring this topic and others in future episodes of Critical Powercast. And until next month, I wish you well.